What up, horn dogs? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're maybe not that at all. What up, asexuals? True. Uh, this is an episode of Ho in the Know. I am s- stopping to speak slowly, Selena, the stripper. And I'm caught in the heat of the moment, Clover. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was fantastic. (laughs) How in the Know is a podcast about sex work by sex workers for sex workers. Don't undermine (laughs) my words. Look, if this was a podcast about sex workers, then maybe it would be a little more... uh, You know? You know what? I can try to be more... Uh, another time but this is my show my rules you got that right my party you got that right and that's why I'm crying and it's because I want to okay cry because you want to I know that it hits single (laughs) (laughs) amazing Um, where is it or is it? So it's been it's been a week, and um, you know what? It's been a very good week, to be honest, in strange and unexpected ways. Oh my God! Remember when I was like abducted by aliens? Wow! On I Monday? completely forgot about that. Actually. I know. Amongst all the other things that happened this week, we're just a little bit away from Hanukkah at this point. Yeah, we've got our menorahs. And do you celebrate Kwanzaa? Every year, I've always celebrated Kwanzaa since from the you were day born. I was born. Yeah, that's why I have my Kwanzaa menorah. Is that what it's called? I actually have no idea what the candles are called for Kwanzaa. The Kwanzaa candles. Don't doesn't Kwanzaa have a menorah type thing? It has candles. It has candles, and kente cloth, I imagine. Yeah. I'm imagining. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so it's it's the holiday season. I had a very wonderful regular come in. I had just had my passport and my pass my uh, partner's passport stolen from my car. And the crazy God. thing is, so we had gone down to Mexico, and people are always like, "Oh, Mexico, it's so insane." Guess where we got our passport stolen? That's right, San Diego. In fucking the suburbs of San Diego, we were out in, like, a fucking (laughs) cul-de-sac. And somebody fucking jacked our passports from my car. What do you think they're doing with them? You know what? I like to imagine that... They're getting drinks. They're just (laughs) going to bars. (laughs) (laughs) They're just using it to get their under-21 friends in for a drink. No need for fakies. These kids look just like us. Exactly. It's actually funny because my picture from my passport is, like, from back when I was 18. And so I'm going to be, like, 28 next year. So Uh. I'm about to have to—I was going to have to, like, get a new passport anyway. And I just took my new passport picture. You look, like, the same— it's well, I look similar, but I definitely look younger in the other picture. Mm, oh, I noticed that I have more baby fat in 
my um, passport photo. Yeah, I have more baby fat, and my oh, face yes. is just like a little bit closer together. Like everything is like set a little bit closer together in that hmm. picture before, and now my face is kind of like opening slightly. <laughs> I don't know. I like to believe that by thirty, my face will finally be in at a, the peak of its at the peak of its range of places that it will be. Such good cheekbones. Thank you. Amazing smile, a good, the perfect nose. Your eyebrows are, they just come out flawless. And your eyes are like such a beautiful shape. Wow. You have an amazing jawline. Thank you. I think that your forehead size is also perfect. Thanks. And your ears are very like cute and good. Thank you. You have a mole in a really good place. Wow. <laughs> and your teeth are very straight. I paid for that. <laughs> um, Great lashes. Thank you. So back to my story. Um, one of my, I told my regulars about it, and they were like, "Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that, Selena." Um, and then one of them was like, "You know what? I'm, I have two hundred dollars. I'm going to give it to you for that, and you don't have to do anything. I'm just going to come by and hand you two hundred dollars." And I was like, "Wow, that's so nice of you." Um, which is which is great because like that's the cost of getting a passport essentially. That's really nice. So yeah, he came. Did by. I meet that regular? I feel like I have. Like one time he came in and. No, no you never met him. He's a new guy. He's uh, a new guy. Very nice, uh, middle-aged black guy. Um, yeah, it's like it's interesting. We we met recently um, on a whim. I'd like already made my money one night, and he and I saw him like. And so I was like, oh, I'll just, like, sit on him. He seems pretty chill. And so I sat on him, and we talked for a while. And he was like, how much should I tip you to sit here? And I'm like, well, you could start with $20 and then keep tipping me. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked for a while, and he was just, like, telling me about how he's, he's like, scared to get back into dating because he's, like, been dealing with impotence issues. Or mm. not impotence, with, like, erectile dysfunction stuff. Mm. And so he's just been, like, scared about, like, can he please a woman anymore? What does that mean to him? He hasn't had sex in years. And so mm. we've been, like, talking about, like, ways to get him back into, like, the dating realm. And I was like, do you, like, I'm not going to provide sex, but would you like me to, like, help you find somebody who could provide that service to you so it would be, like, low impact and you wouldn't have to feel so much pressure? Um, so we were talking about different sites where we could, like, figure out buying an escort for him and all of that. Mm. And so we've just had, like, a really nice relationship. So That's anyway, nice. Yeah. And he's like, thank you for, like, being so kind about this. Because, like, it's been scary and it's, I feel, like, embarrassed about the whole thing. And I've never been married and I've never had kids. And so, yeah, it's, like, it's a sweet thing. But anyway, um, so he came by and he brought me $200. And then he was like, oh, and I have some presents for you. Because he had gone on a trip. He's like a he's like a football coach for like um, high schoolers and stuff. Um, and so he was like, that's cute. He was like going for like a southern tour for or not southern tour, like some some kind of game related thing. So he went down to the south and he did it. He like tr drove cross country. Wow. And so he like passed through New Mexico and went all the way down to. Uh, Louisiana and Alabama and stuff and he was like oh I have some presents for you and I was like oh I don't know what to expect at all for like at all and he like pulls out these two little white boxes and I don't really expect anybody to know me or like to know what to get for me because I'm kind of a hard person to shop for and then he pulls out this like 
beautiful little silver bracelet that I'm wearing right now. Oh my god, it's so your style that I would have thought that you bought it yourself. Exactly. It's like this kind of like three-part silver band with... Um, do you wear your rings at the club? Sorry, go on. I do. I wear my rings at the club. Oh, he's observant. I don't think he even noticed. He didn't realize that I had it because I, I wear like this double-banded turquoise ring that's like fused with copper and I wear like a lamorite ring, like silver ring. Um, so this turquoise that he got... It's, like, perfectly the same kind of turquoise as the turquoise that I already have for this other ring that I have, and it matches perfectly with the ring that I have, so it looks like a set, and it was just, like, so thoughtful and heartwarming. It's like Christmas came early. That's, it's just, like, a really sweet thing. Yeah, <laughs> and he got me two little um, hair clips, like, that are... He was, he like, I bought them um, at a Native American reservation, Hmm. and they were made by, like, Native artisans if they told me the truth. He was like, I hope they told me the truth, because I really wanted to buy it from, you know, Native Americans. And so he got me these two clips that are, like, special beaded um, Native American-style clips, and I was like... This is literally the sweetest gift, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was, like, just hmm. about to cry about will, it. <laughs> will you actually wear them? Oh, totally. Are they at all, like, appropriative, do you think? I don't think so. I can show them to you. Yeah, I'm curious. Because, I mean, it's cool if it's just, like, you know, like, Native American artists and... Oh, it's in my fanny pack out there. Oh, okay. Well... Um, if you want to grab my fanny pack during a historical house, <laughs> then I can show you properly... Um, but yeah, it was very sweet. And I had some more lovely interactions with, um, Danny. Aww. Our Danny boy. Danny. 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 I got to to experience one evening of Sober Danny. That sounds so nice. It will last through the ages. (laughs) (laughs) Go down in history as one of the nights that I got to see that Danny bought sex work and didn't do coke (laughs) it's a real momentous occasion yeah that's unheard of it's totally unheard of except for with me because i never he can't find it like sometimes he just like logistically can't find every time that i've been with him he's like i need coke like can do you can we um can you stop by the strip club and get me coke and i'm like oh god i cannot do that but um what if I brought you chocolate? And he he'll like while we're hanging out be like, okay, uh, so I'm just gonna call um call the guy at the club and like have him send a girl our way with <laughs> some coke. What? And I'm like, what the heck? That's so wild. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, I mean, he's tried that twice now. Um, yeah, that sounds about on par for a Danny moment. <laughs> yeah, it it was um it was nice to hang out with him. He was like like 95% sober, maybe like 90% sober. There was 10% of wine inside of him. Bum. That's not much for But that's him. not really that much. He was not slurring his words. Um, he recalled details. Yeah, it wasn't just like saying sexual things anytime you spoke maybe yeah he was like coherent and and we had good conversations (laughs) it was it was actually very nice it was a nice pleasant change of pace and Mm. I stayed for longer even though I wasn't getting paid as much because it was a light hang so 
I didn't even take off my panties or get naked or nothing. <laughs> whoa. Oh, whoa, ho, ho. That's my favorite kind of sex work is whenever you don't have to fully get naked. Mm. As much as I don't mind being naked one bit. Yeah. There's just something nice about, especially whenever I put effort into my outfit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice. Anyway, that said, um, we begin every episode with a segment we call Historical Hose. And this week's historical ho is a French person, so I'm going to get Clover's pronunciation help from time to time. I dropped down to the Silver League on Duolingo because Well, I... I've never progressed beyond the Silver League in <laughs> Duolingo, so you can just shut the fuck up. Ah. Ah. <laughs> um, okay, so our historical ho this week is um, Eugenie Marie Gilou. Guillou. Guillou. Uh, Marie Guillou. Guillou. Yeah, actually. It's Guillou. Okay, awesome. (laughs) So she's a French former nun who became became a pimp and dominatrix. Um, And also a sex worker. Generally, I think she might have provided some level of full-service sex work, but um, it's a little bit unclear. So... And I also tried to read some article in French, and it was impossible, and I needed your help, Clover, but you were busy. Oh, no. It's okay. Oh, no. It's okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, most of her life is known through the archives of the Paris police because the pigs are wild about incarcerating sex workers and writing about it. So, I'm glad that they kept a record, at least. So, uh, Eugenie uh, Guillou is the daughter of uh, Théodore uh, Julien Guillou and Marie-Eugène Delaunay. How do you say, what? Well, it's, you should just keep going. I think it's fine that you're doing it like this. Okay. <laughs> well, try to judge a little bit less, okay? I'm not. I'm just, it's, I like it. Okay. So after her apparently wealthy family was ruined by a setback of fortune, uh, Eugène uh, Guillou was educated at the boarding school of the Sisters of uh, Providence in uh, Montaigny-la-Guenelon and became a subteacher at a school in Vincennes. Vincennes? Um. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> um, in 1880, she joined the Congregation of the Sisters of Sion, and when her father died in July 1880, she didn't have many ways to contribute to supporting her lifestyle, her very rich and lavish lavish lifestyle, as we just mentioned that she came from a wealthy family. So she could not just buy Gucci whenever she wanted. Not the Chanel boots. No Hermes. <laughs> she was like, where are my Hermes boots? Only the cock right. polo. Only the cock polo. <laughs> so uh, when her father died in 1880, she didn't have many ways to continue supporting her lifestyle. So she decided to join the sisterhood. And she became Sister uh, Marie Zinai. How do I say this? Where, what, that? Then, oh, I think, doing... I think that that's German, actually. Yeah, I think it's... 
Zenaid, whatever. So where she remained for about 12 years. She didn't write during this time, and nobody wrote about her because she was probably living a really boring life, locked down by the big man upstairs. She was probably scrubbing floors and... SMH. She was um, shaking her head but not speaking because Mm. it was probably she took some level of a vow of silence. I imagine she walked in lines with other nuns Mm. and woke up very early and went to sleep whenever the sun set. Mm -hmm. And um, probably washed a lot of clothes. Couldn't even like jerk off or something? Probably couldn't jerk off. I don't think that that was possible at that time. I mean, I don't think that women understood oh, yeah. the jerking off. Really? Or did they? I oh, bet oh, they oh, did. Oh. You can always find the clit. Yep, you can always find that clit. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. Like the, There might have been a pair of underwear that hit that spot for a second. Or yep. you just like accidentally, you wrote on like a... A thing. A horse. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, ooh, what the heck? Ooh, what the heck? Check that out later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So she was sent from 1882 through 1890 to serve a community out in Romania, the very poor and sad Romania. And Romanians who needed the help of nuns, obviously. Mm-hmm. They were like, you know who we need? Nuns. <laughs> so in 1892, uh, Yushini made the ballsy move to refuse the pronunciation of her perpetual vows, um, which means they weren't perpetual. What are perpetual vows again? So, like, they're the vows that like people in the holy orders oh, make that they won't fuck. Uh, no, that that they commit to being priests holy. or nuns oh. or whatever forever. As if. As if. Can you promise anything forever? Yeah, no fucking way. No fucking way. Perpetual vows. Perpetual persmetual. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Yeah. Um, so she was like, fuck that. But she still had to pay off the stingy convent 2,000 francs to compensate her departure. And she was like, see you never. I'm not paying that bullshit bill because I already worked for y'all for 12 years. Uh, which she did, because she was out in fucking Romania having a real shitty time, it sounds like. <laughs> um, so she skipped out on the bill. After leaving the convent, she lived as a housekeeper and began her career in sex work. She was arrested for prostitution in December 1902 and briefly incarcerated at uh, saint lazare and then in January 1903, during an investigation into her activities as a, quote, gallant woman. Mm. Gallant. Gallant. <laughs> According uh, to a practice then common, she used the classified ads of the newspaper to post ads. She loved whips. Which <laughs> she loved whips. Whips. You I like your exact sentence of that. <laughs> um, so I want to wait. I want to remind me to sample that <laughs> for a song. <laughs> um, which I so like. I like to imagine that that love came from self-flagellation or some other Catholic. Oh, thing. yeah. Catholics be the kinkiest. Catholics be so kinky. Hey, oh my yeah, God. with yourself. Then <laughs> this like sexual deprivation shit. Right. <laughs> they deprive her of sex and then they make herself whip herself for 
Any naughty thoughts? Naughty thought. That was a naughty thought. Uh oh. Once again, thought about the vagina. I had a thought of the. I have a thought of the vulva. Anyway, so (laughs) they verified her practices by comparing the market rate in France at the time for the aforementioned sexual services with the rates that she posted in the ads. So it's like they weren't 100% sure, but they were like, well, a blowjob costs about 45 francs and whenever this happened, 1903, so it must have been a blowjob. So... Apparently, her ads were quite lengthy and imaginatively written. In 1903, illustrating her nickname, quote, The Nun, she shot three full-length portraits by a photographer, two were representing her as a nun, and the third representing, featuring, uh, guess what? What? An 18th century titty. One <laughs> 18th century titty for y'all. Oh my god. Oh my god, the scandal. The scandal. The scandal. I mean, it's kind of great. Like, three pictures of her as a nun, and then one you whip out a titty. Yeah. And then whoever was reading it was like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the number for that lady? Oh, wait. Was that do the we have telephones? Of, like, nun kinks? I guess we do. Do they have telephones in 1903? Uh, uh, not so historical. Not hose. so historical, hoes. We're, we're not so historical. <laughs> Let's check when Alexander Graham Bell made that telephone, you guys. Oh, you remember that person's name? Yeah, so now you can look it up more easily. <laughs> That's why we have our phones, to verify our not-so-factual facts. Okay, so she didn't write her ads as... No, some... oh, wait. Hmm. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, go on. Let me. I still haven't found out. Okay. <laughs> so she didn't write her ads as some passive fuck toy. Uh, the articles of the writers of the article I used seemed so stunned by this fact for whatever reason. <laughs> Instead, she writes ads from the perspective of a person in search of accomplices. She wrote. Tu reçus the whip is a passion for me a passion a need if you can find me. A nice man, loving spanking woman, I will compensate you generously. It is difficult to think that she is not masochistic. I sound like Robert Pattinson. <laughs> <laughs> she is not masochistic and that she would only leave singular and utter erotic libido. Awesome, that was beautiful. Let me do it in a country accent. To receive the whip for me is a passion, a need. If you can find me a nice loving man, loving spanking woman, I will compensate you generously. It is difficult to think that she is not masochistic and that she would only live a singular and autoerotic libido. Let me do this in a New York accent. To receive the whip for me is a passion, a need. If you can find me a nice man, loving, spanking woman, I will compensate you generously. It is difficult to think that she is not masochistic and that she would live only a singular and autoerotic libid- lib- libido. Libido. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Can you do a Danny accent? <laughs> to receive the whip for me is a passion, a need. If you can find me a nice... <laughs> 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 
If you can find me a nice man, loving, spoken woman, it will compensate you generously. It's difficult to think that she is not masochistic and that she would live only a single autoerotic libido. <laughs> I can't. It's hard. It's hard. That one's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well. <laughs> you guys get it, right? I hope you understand by now. I hope you've memorized it. <laughs> Feel free to sample that. Feel free to use it in an audition for a dramatic role. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, Yojane Gilou. Gilou. Guyo. Guyo. Yojane Guyo opened what is best described as a combination brothel and kink palace, as well as a vanilla beauty parlor, and as well as several other establishments, uh, House of Rendezvous in March 1903, and another in December 1903, so same year. Uh, the Trade Beauty Salon in 1907, and the latter became the Beauty Palace Institute in 1909, which she left in 1911. The years 1903 to 1907 seemed to have been the most prosperous. At one of her brothels, she had up to seven or eight working girls under her orders, subject to medical control, and offering its customers multiple services, including, quote, lesbian pleasures, pedophiles, Various baths, massages, and voyeurism. Pedophiles? Yes. Ew. I don't know. What if she just dressed up women as younger women? Oh. Who's to say? It's it's 18th century. Or is it 19th or 20th century? It's 20th century. 1903, it's the 20th century, yeah. Jeez, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> also, what does it mean by um, subject to medical control? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, like, wait. at that time... Was it, it kind of what we were talking... We were listening to that other sex podcast that yeah, was talking the, about... Yeah, there's another sex podcast that you should all check out called The Oldest Profession, and they... Sex s- work podcast, sorry. Sex work podcast called The Oldest Profession, and they were doing... Like, they had an... I think it might have been, like, one of their first couple of episodes where they talk about how, like, people, like, street-based sex workers slash people, women assumed to be for sex workers, so promiscuous women or women who like to take walks outside alone, mm-hmm. <laughs> who had hobbies that yeah. didn't involve men, yeah. were subject to kind of searches and um, medical observation, which were pretty archaic at that time it was just like let me check your genitals right now and i think at that time they'd also just made the speculum so they were like let me put these cold duck lips inside of your vaginal cold duck lips is really a descriptor i not <laughs> that's good <laughs> let me put these cold duck lips up your pussy up your vaginal canal Okay. So I can see inside and check out your cervix, Put the area of all of the action. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what mercury does. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so maybe medical control was that. So we have no idea what that meant is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, what I was saying was that maybe it's that, mm-hmm. but not confirmed. 
unconfirmed and unsubstantiated, as always. <laughs> the historical hoes are a little bit of a... <laughs> it's a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. Is it historical? <laughs> well... For half of, half of it. Somewhat, is. somewhat. They existed. They did. All right. So on September 21st, 1916, she married the mayor of the 18th... I won't, don't know what this means. Uh... Oh, okay. I don't know if that's like a district. Or yeah, it's basically districts. Paris has like 13 or some. Wait, not 13. But well, apparently at least 18. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and like I also can't. Okay, so I'm so sorry. Corrections Mansion. Or earlier I said 18th century. I meant to say 20th century. And it wasn't an 18th century titty. It was a 20th century titty. Yeah, I was going to say, like, because when you said that, I was like, so she pulled up some other girls' titties to show. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's something. I'm just going to cringe my way through that embarrassment, okay? And Um, just know that... embarrassment of 13. uh, uh, (laughs) It's because I know that that one's, like, a cool one. 12 and 13 are good ones if you're going to Paris. 1, 2, and 3, I think, are the most touristy. Anyway, go on. Awesome. All right, so she married a mayor of one of those districts, the 18th district to be specific, John Dion McCormack. Not much is known about her after that period, and I don't read French, so I was unable to get any more information. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the infamous life of Eugenie Guillot. 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 Uh, historico. Double L's are actually kind of similar to in Spanish. You mm, can think of it that way. That makes way. sense. In, yeah. in some instances, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't that hard to pronounce, and yet I did not pronounce it well. And that's... I have no excuse. No excuses. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, feel free, anyone, to call me out on my shit-ass French. I know... You've got a poopy butt. I just really do. I um, chat all over my progress. Yeah, it's fine. So now we have some topics. Um, So we've talked a bit about the pole dance community Mm -hmm. in prior episodes, but I think that there's something that is important and that is that like there's some people that are left out of strip clubs and like who just are not able to like be strippers as much Mm. as they might love to be a stripper and would trade an arm and a leg and genitals even to become strippers but they face enough exclusion that they just are not allowed. Like differently abled bodies or like differently abled bodies, um, people who are fat, people who are too are dark skinned too for dark skin cities too, because sometimes it's like maybe you could dance at some club in LA but you're in like Ohio. Yeah. Dar- I don't know what Ohio's like. Maybe you're it's in It's pretty like, white I don't in know. Ohio. Okay. I mean it's like there's Columbus and it's like the exact diverse or like racial makeup of the u.s as a whole which is a unique Hmm, thing that is unique a unique claim for a city and that's why abercrombie and some other mall companies have their (laughs) stores out there okay probably also tax incentives what do you mean their stores their stores are they're like headquarters okay okay (laughs) <laughs> There's only one Abercrombie, and it's only in Columbus, Ohio. Because <laughs> they liked the racial makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. 
Um, but yeah, people are so like there's like a lot of people who are not who are not able to be strippers and who would really like to be strippers. Like, and then there are some people who are like that who become like pole dance experts and stuff like that, or like they'll pole dance for events. So. I'm going to mention young pole master who's known as Miles, and he's a very sweet guy, IRL. Um, he puts up a lot of bravado, URL, but IRL, he's, like, very sweet. Um, and I feel like with Miles, like, initially I had some reservations about him, like, pole dancing and all of that, and, like, this is about strippers, and this is, like, a special thing that we have, and you should just, like, stay in your own lane. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like... If Miles was a woman, he would be, like, the first stripper. Like, he, he would be... He would work at Crazy Girls in a fucking heartbeat. Yeah. If there was, like, a venue where other people could dance, like, who are excluded from this, I think a lot of people would. So I feel like while it's I do come down hard on a lot of pole dance people who could be much better allies for strippers, mm-hmm. I do think that there's, like, a bit of nuance in the lines that I would personally draw. Yeah, that's true. A good point. Like like I mentioned previously, like with Nicole Byer, like mm-hmm, I love yeah. her to death and she is one of my favorite people in the whole world and I would probably break down into tears if I ever saw her in Aww. real life. <laughs> and she's been pole dancing and I felt some type of way about it, but now I'm just like, you know what? Nicole, you can be a pole dancer because she's, she's so out for sex workers. She's too. out for sex workers. She's like very pro sex work and talks about it whenever she has the opportunity to. She's not mm-hmm. clandestine about it. She's like a real ally, and I think that's important. I also think that if you're a pole dancer, there's just like you need to do so much more. Yeah. Just like other ally groups, like if you want to consider yourself to be like a good ally, it's so important to like know what that means. Like yeah. it's like if you're an ally, it's not just like, oh, I have black friends. Mm-hmm. Like I like black people. That's it. It's like you need to go above and beyond. Like you need to know that you when you take up space and you need to like make space for people. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. There's a little indie film that is in the works um, that will probably get zero attention because it's kind of crappy. But there's an indie film that is called The Gift or something like that. Mm. And um, so I don't know like the full story, but it's essentially like about a stripper slash thing that happens at a strip club. There's like a mother who works at a strip club and her kid is, like, getting bullied at school. People are like, oh, your mom is a stripper, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So the kid decides to, like, go to her strip club one day to, like, see if it's real. And the kid goes into the strip club. Everybody's like, oh, my fucking God, there's a child in the strip club. That kid needs to get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. The manager, like, slaps the kid or something like Whoa. that and throws the child out. What? And then... Slaps the kid. Exactly. And mm-hmm. then the, the the mother of the child, like, sees that the kid is there and uh, grabs her stuff and runs. And I think she... I don't know if... Maybe they don't slap the kid. Maybe they just throw the kid out. And then, like, the, the mother comes and, like, slaps the manager and, and like, takes her stuff and leaves. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are so many levels of... 
just like not understanding yeah. how strip clubs work. Yeah, I'm thinking like none of this could even possibly happen because that kid wouldn't be in there in the first place. Yeah, one, nobody would let a child into a strip club no. like without any supervision because that's like such a major liability. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe they would take the kid to the office or maybe pro- what's most likely is the manager would be like, hey kid, like you get lost, like let's go out for some french fries and like may- I'll try and grab your mom and we can you know, figure out where to take you because we can't let you inside here. It's a legal issue. You can't easily get into a strip club. There's a bouncer. There's t- like several. Yeah, you can't <laughs> just walk into a strip club there's a bouncer there's like the doors don't open unless like they hit a special button to let you in sometimes yeah um most yeah like i mean there's like some level of like provisions Mm -hmm. to like prevent people from just wandering in because it's a safety issue like what if like some crazy person comes in who like is like harmful like you you don't know Mm -hmm. i don't mean to use crazy as a dismissive term like you can have mental health issues and be totally welcomed at the strip club but i'm talking like a harmful person a lone shooter (laughs) (laughs) um second of all managers are not gonna be mean to a child because like that's a liability thing too (laughs) it would just be terrible publicity if anybody heard about that and like at the end of the day they're like business managers like mm-hmm. they care about their perception like their public perception is so important yeah they respond to all of those reviews on google and yeah exactly they read the reviews and, and they respond like we're to sorry them. that you had a bad experience exactly they're just like every other business exactly owner. like but they, like slimy to their they're um, a little slimy but they like they still care about customer service and all of that and um or very slimy depending mm-hmm. um and then Third of all, I mean, there's going to be more than three probably, so I'm just going to go. Third of all, (laughs) like, at least half of the strippers are mothers already. So, like, every, like, most of these women or non-binary people know what it's like to have a kid Mm -hmm. and to take care of a kid. And also, it's like a profession where we are, like, professionally nurturing people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. I feel like strippers have to make the best moms. Yeah, they're super present, like, giving moms. Like, so... (laughs) So to be like, oh, all of the strippers were like aghast. There was a child, mm. like didn't know how to handle it. Like I've never seen a child before. It's just such a misunderstanding mm-hmm. of what goes on. And then to have this woman who's like obviously supporting her child through dancing decide to just like say fuck it just because her kid like finally finds out and just like slap the manager and like cut off all possibilities of her ability to come back yeah is just like no (laughs) that doesn't make any sense (laughs) how do you think she's able to like support having a child honestly it's her income yeah no and so anyway they're making this movie and um one of the um one of the allies that we have from Raising Hell um, she was asked to come in as like a pole dancing consultant interesting and so immediately she was like hey I'm not a stripper and this is about strippers you should talk to some of my friends who are actual strippers (laughs) and so she immediately like went and she talked to strippers Mm -hmm. about she talked to Antonia and was like hey this is what's going on 
uh, with this thing. I feel like I'm not a person who they should be talking to, like consulting about this. I think you should be the main consultant because this is your experience. Yeah. Which is how it should fucking be. This yeah. is an example of how to be a good pole ally if you're in the pole dancing community. <laughs> yes. Thank you. AM? Um, this is not AM. This oh, okay. is another. This is a pole bunny person. Wait, yeah, of course it's not AM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because AM <laughs> yeah. Is, is a stripper. Yeah. What so. the heck? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the our wonderful ally pole bunny um, referred the the director to Antonia and Antonia reached out and was like hey um and she was like super generous like was like I think this is a great script she thought it was terrible (laughs) but um was like I have some notes on it and I think it'd be really great if I could come in and we could talk about you know some changes in the script just for accuracy like I'm a stripper I have 20 years of experience and I think that my input would be such a great opportunity for you yeah um they not only rejected that they also like sent this thing out that said like she's not allowed on the premises because she could be like a hostile person exactly dude what the fuck what the fuck indeed so That's this kind of thing happens, nuts. like, all the time. It's, like, strippers... They really don't want our perspectives. They, they want to look in at us. Exactly. They just want to have, like, these narratives of, like, people just, like, imagining what it might be like. Yeah. And, like, they don't want to actually consult us directly. Yeah. Like, oh, it's probably very difficult. And imagine being a stripper and navigating having a child. Imagine like, what a the stripper child with must a child. be going through. <laughs> Wow, and and that's just such an emotional thing. If my Mm -hmm. upbringing was like that, I would have felt this way, like this young boy. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like... And then just to constantly, like, be shutting out, like, real strippers from the conversation, from consulting about this, like, from being narrators of our stories or from being at the front of, like, teaching people our craft of how to dance and how to, like, do pole or how like using like pole dancing in videos without crediting strippers or being on the side of strippers it's just so exploitive yeah and it's just time for that to stop and i think it's really important that pole dance allies truly be out there so like you maybe will be asked to consult for a pole dancing segment in a music video try to pass the mic to a stripper yeah pass the mic to a stripper invite them on try and get as many strippers hired as possible because strippers want to work in civvy jobs too and like mm-hmm. we want to be in charge of like how pole dancing is depicted in movies and yeah. in, in music videos and television it's like you it'd have be just like a really good way to like give us a a platform for like a lot of things just like mm-hmm. i lost that thought actually yeah totally i, I mean to like to be able to have like work experience outside of the club too i guess to like normalize our experiences in media and the representation of us and us as producers or as like mm-hmm. filmmakers who are writing about just like our normal everyday lives because like there isn't that and i guess that's like it's yeah all just movies and films and wait <laughs> films <laughs> separate from movies <laughs> um, <laughs> about sex workers um there aren't enough there's not enough or even almost feature us i mean like there's yeah i mean truly real 
honest documentaries and shows and depictions of sex work are f- so few and far between. I'm writing a show. Yes. About sex workers. So if anyone wants to. If you ever want to hire Clover for that, make it real. Um, shout out. I can pitch you my idea. It's really good. And it would make a ton of money and views and yes. also be impactful. So yes. Anyway. There's yeah. plenty of, I mean, I mean, I think the bottom line, too, is like there's already so many stripper writers and performers and actors and musicians. Like we're out here fucking doing everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just give us the space and opportunity. Yeah. And don't just like take advantage of it because you're asked first, because of course you're going to be asked first. Yeah. You know, like that's how these things go. If anything can be whitewashed it'll be whitewashed if anything can be like removed of like the the value of sex work or like the just even taking note of of a person historically being a sex worker like Malcolm X or like Maya Angelou like it will definitely be removed from the primary narratives so it's important as an ally to make that space and to talk about those things um okay so I could go into the word, the P word. A. Prostitute. So I will tell you who this is written by. It's not written by me, um, but you could probably find it if you just wanted to search about the P word, which I will be using. Um, before we even get into the heated debates around decriminalizing sex work, an interesting place to start is the language used when discussing the sex industry. Um, Also, I'm reading this and I'm just like, it's for the perspective, but I haven't taken a stance. Um, Or I guess I have, but I don't know if it's... Okay, so it's telling that those who support the abolition of the sex trade generally do not use the term, quote, sex worker. The preferred use... um, term of use by those who sell sexual services, in parentheses. Rather, the word prostitute or prostituted women is used. It was Carol Lee, aka, quote, the Scarlet Harlot, who first hey, used... shout out Scarlet Harlot. <laughs> we did a historical host segment on that. That we her. did. Who first used the term, quote, sex worker in the late 80s. Writing, quote, the usage of the term sex work marks the beginning of a movement. It acknowledges the work we do rather than defines us by our status. End quote. Since then, numerous sex worker rights groups have campaigned to replace, quote, prostitute with, quote, sex worker. The English Collective of Prostitutes was founded in 1975 before sex worker came into use, and although they have retained prostitute in their name to reflect their history, they use sex worker throughout their literature. This was a side note. Language is an important battleground in the fight for social equality. The linguist Ferdinand de Sa- so sure argued language constitutes our world it doesn't just record it or label it language is fluent and malleable it drives social attitudes rather than simply expressing them so what is being reinforced when we use the word prostitute and why is it important perhaps the best place to start is the word's origins the oxford english dictionary record uh, records the earliest use of prostitute in the 1530s and trace its meaning from the classical Latin prostitute (laughs) with Um, some, like, characters over it. So... Oh, you also have the history? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm trying to find where I have it. Past participial stem of prostituere, meaning to offer for sale, to, quote, to put 
to an unworthy use, to expose to public shame, dishonor, end quote. Prostitute generally refers to a woman and to a state of female sexual dishonor. Parentheses, of course, men have been selling sex as long as women have, but they have been referred to throughout history specifically as male prostitutes. Oh, so, like, there's another uh, sidebar. It's, um, so... Uh, 1520s from Latin prostitutus, um, past participle prostituere, to establish to prostitution or to expose publicly from pro, which is before, plus uh, statuere, which is to cause, to stand, to st- establish. Um, cool. Um, prostitute first crops up in English in 1530 as a verb meaning to sexually dishonor yourself. I prostitute... As a common woman doth herself in a bordel house. It's like written in kind of old English. Mm-hmm. Palsgrave, 1530. And the truth is, the word has been linked to a state of dishonor ever since. Significantly, the first recorded use of prostitute as a noun in English is in Francis Beaumont's Woman Hater, 1607, where it is used as an insult. My lou and duty will not suffer me to see you for such a prostitute. I think it's favor, but use or vs. See you favor. Favor. John Dryden also uses prostitute to insult women in his his rival ladies. She's an infamous lewd prostitute. I loathe her at my soul. Prostitute began to settle into its current meaning of a person who sells sex towards the end of the 17th century, but it never fully shakes off the associations with dishonor and is as likely to be used as an insult as a professional professional descriptor. Before a prostitute established itself as an official word for someone who sold sexual services, common terms were whore, strumpet, harlot, strumpet. <laughs> or lewd slash common woman. I don't know why strumpets are twice. I just really like the word strumpet. I do too. <laughs> Maybe I should get this that tattooed down my gnome. back. Yeah, this is strumpet in the trumpet. Strumpet with the trumpet. <laughs> While none of these terms are directly linked to a profession like prostitute, they are all pejoratively used to attack and degrade women's sexuality. It is precisely the words duality as a profession and an insult that has led some sex worker rights organizations to challenge the continued use of prostitute. Prostitute is not a neutral term, and it never has been. It's a word burdened with considerable historical and cultural baggage. Lizzie Smith argued, quote, the term prostitute does not simply mean a person who sells her or his sexual labor, but brings with it layers of, quote, knowledge about worth drug status childhood integrity personal hygiene and sexual health that was um in annotated smith 2013. Prostitute is also a woefully inadequate term to describe the complexities of the modern sex industry, which includes cam girls, phone sex operators, glamour models, and porn stars, whereas sex worker brings all these professions together and affords them all a sense of choice and professionalism. Those who oppose the consensual selling and buying of sexual services between adults use the term prostitute and prostituted person precisely because of the negative associations, and won't use sex worker because it reflects a level of empowerment and autonomy that they deny. Yep. But prostitute is still used widely within academia, especially historical studies, where it is used with a sense of clinical indifference. 
Whenever I have challenged the use of prostitute in research, the reaction is usually one of surprise, and the person using it was genuinely unaware of its contested use. Occasionally, I hear the term sex worker is anachronistic, and prostitute feels more historically authentic. Mm, authentic. But... We have managed to move beyond using historical terms for people of color, the LGBTQ community, and those with disabilities, and I suggest we do the same here. And when we are dealing with the history of a socially marginalized and vulnerable community, in this case sex workers, the history becomes even more important as it exerts a palpable influence on current issues and debates. How academics write about the history of sex workers matters because whilst the people whose lives are being examined may be long dead, the attitudes, prejudices, and narratives that shaped that person's life are resurrected whenever that story is told. If we tell history from within the same stigmatized narratives that continue to damage sex workers who are alive today, we are complicit in harm. But more than this, if the very people whose history and lives are under discussion are asking for a change in the language used to describe them, is it not deeply disrespectful to refuse to listen? Language that reflects the humanity of the person or people being described is a process that requires continual revision. One of the biggest issues facing sex workers today, and indeed throughout history, is social stigma. Although political correctness frequently comes in for mocking, we cannot and will not achieve social equality for anyone if the language we use to describe marginalized groups actually reinforces the stigma they face. Language constitutes our world. It doesn't just record it or label it. Wow. Thank you so much, and we will definitely cite that source in the bio. Apologies, because um, it's important to cite our sources, but sometimes we're busy hoes up to some busy shit. And now it's time for a commercial break. You've worked hard all day, all night on call. You went from selling grams to kilos. It was a great run. You learned so much and made connections that will last a lifetime. But now you're looking for a fresh start. Maybe Fred X wants an above-ground, above-board sales job. Don't you think this kind of exponential growth deserves recognition? We do. At fakejobexperience.com, we help you reword your illegal or disreputable job experience into the kind of experience employers are looking for. You see, Fred X wasn't just dealing drugs, he was a small business owner. He packaged and distributed unique, quality-controlled goods to a client base he built from the ground up. At least that's how we see it, and we'll vouch for you. That's right. We have a team of engineers on call to act as your references in any job interview. We'll help you develop an official title for your business and even create Forge tax information for your enterprise. You're ready to make the transition, and we are here to help. Visit us at fakejobexperience.com today to see what we can offer you. Wow. I mean, if only that existed. (laughs) You know what? TM, TM, you guys. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this holiday special episode of Ho in the Know. I'm Selena the Stripper, and you can follow me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can support this enterprise on Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. You can email us at hoeinthenow at gmail.com. Clover. Little four leaf on Instagram. The four is a number, and there's an underscore between little and four. And all of this information will be in the bio. So thank you so much for tuning in, and have a ho, 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 merry holiday. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. More money, I want your money, I want more money.